Hello, and welcome to another episode of Gaming Couch, where we sit back and talk about video games, board games, card games, and the like. So pull up a chair, put your feet up, let's have a good time. Mm, excuse me, wow, I just burped right as the opening finished. My apologies. Woo! Alright, so on that note, hi. Hi, everyone. Uh, is the heat done yet? Because I like the beginning of the summer, it wasn't too bad, but now the heat's really kicking in near the end of the, like, midsummer. Not appreciating of it at all. Granted, it's my own fault for not having an AC, but eh, not a big deal. Anyway, the topic for today, you know, music is a powerful tool, straight up. It is a very powerful tool. If you need inspiration for like a new project you're doing, get some music going. You need to finish that essay before midnight, get some music going. You know, you, you want to set the mood for your kick-ass D&D campaign with your friends, get the music going. Hell, even though I was, I was writing this script, I was just listening to some music on Pandora. I was playing a few tunes that are relative to the topic today from various games. It just When you get that music playing, it kind of helps the gears turn because music has always been used for expression for countless years. Every culture has music used to express something. And the music we have is as diverse as the people that live on our planet. It's It's amazing the things you can find. Now, video games that have over the year developed into their own sort of culture with their own communities have designed their own unique line of music. You know, you can listen to a tune and be like, yeah, that's definitely in a video game or could fit in a video game, but not anywhere else because of the nature of this interactive piece of games, the interactive story elements of a game. Now... The other important thing when it comes to music is games, of course, are already a visual and interactive form of media and art that you're able to play, essentially. So music really just helps with the emotional part of it. Whatever emotion or information the game's trying to convey to the player, music just helps add into that. So Though it's not 100% a necessary element, like I've played games that don't have a lot of music, they still have sound effects, like Dead Space. The music for that game is very minimal in the first game. There isn't a lot of it. It's all about the sound effects and building up that atmosphere of truly being alone. So that's one of two things I want to kind of like mention before we even go into this, is that yeah, as much as music is important and having that to convey that emotion, some horror games, that absence of music helps because it it doesn't tell you how to feel. Since the music's supposed to convey an emotion, if you remove that music, it's not telling you any emotions. It's just letting you be yourself. It's leaving you alone with your thoughts, with what the world has built around you. And then on the other hand, something I want everyone to try, go back and watch a scene from like your favorite movie or TV show or like from a video game or something like that, and just turn the audio off. Listen to it without sound effects, without music, without the dialogue or anything. Just completely mute it and watch it. I did this experiment once with my kids in high school, watching a scene from uh, Captain America, Winter Soldier, or Civil War, or whatever. One of the fight scenes, and I removed the music. I'm like, how was it? They're like, eh. They, like, they're like, it didn't feel the same. That music, those sound effects, helps with that that impact, that 
delivering of this message, this emotion of like this is a high tense moment or this is a joyful moment or whatever it is at the time. So I want to try my hand. I want to take a stab at making a list. You know, a lot of people do like top five, top tens. And like I said on a tweet earlier in the week, it is kind of my guilty pleasure online. Like when I see a top five list about something, I'm like, ooh, what is this? Uh, I've learned Watch Mojo's complete shit. I don't watch them, but it's like video game stuff, like video game top five, top tens of various YouTubers. I'm like, this interests me. I'm going to watch this. So here's my take at it. Making this list, not about five games that had the best soundtrack. No. Five games that had the most impactful music. Moments that, with the melody and the tune that was playing drove home this message and I feel if the developers went a different direction and didn't use the same song or use different tune or whatever that it this would not have been as an impactful moment you know if you remove the music like I said before or change the music this moment wouldn't be what it was essentially now I talked about Hellblade recently so as much as I love the Sea of Corpses and the other moments in that game because I talked about that length already I'm not putting that on this list. So I guess you could say that's like, you know, a runner-up, uh, a, a nice little nomination for other things, you know. So let's get into this. So starting on the low end, obviously five near the back. I want to give a full disclosure here as we're talking about music. I am not a fan of hip-hop music at all. Yeah, I just, I don't listen to it. I never have an interest in listening to it. If, a, if I go into like a bar or something that is playing, I'm kind of like, eh. You know, I, I, if I like the bar I'm with friends, I'll sit down, obviously, and have a drink or whatever. But just, I just don't like that kind of music. And I also like going to, you know, clubs and stuff like that and a lot of them have this style of music. However, with that in mind, I must say that Saints Row III's use of Con Conway, Kanye West's power is fucking amazing. All right. And like I said, as a non-hip-hop fan, I love that song just because of Saints Row, the third, all right? You got this song that's entitled Power. It's very fitting for the situation because you, the protagonist, playing with the Saints, you're storming a Morningstar penthouse to take it from them and establish yourself in the city again. You're establishing your power. And I love the, the set piece you're on a helicopter, and the plane is like, fuck it, we're going to jump out of a helicopter and just parachute onto this this party happening at this penthouse and just take the place over. So you're sitting in the helicopter, and the music starts playing, and the, that clapping rhythm is going. That's the start of Power, the song. And you just jump out of that helicopter. And if you jump out of the helicopter right away, essentially the lyric matches up. As soon as you land, you start just shooting up the place. The lyrics start, and it's just a beautiful beautiful mix of what the game is going for in sense of like your goal your ultimate goal you want to take back the city and your turf you know the saints got fucked start of the game you're on this airplane and the morning stars kill gat they fuck up the saints try and kill you and the others and you're essentially left with nothing so how are we going to take you know how are we going to take it back how are we going to regain our power like straight up like get our power back as a gang and take back the city fuck it we're just gonna we're gonna hit them hit them hard we're gonna take their hq and we're gonna set it up as our own hq 
and it, it's just it's such a lovely mix. Now, I can't easily state what the actual song power is about or what Kanye West's intention was with the song, anything like that, because I only listened to the song while playing the game, and frankly, I was too busy shooting up coons in the game to really pay a lot of attention to the song. It just it it fit like it it was getting me hyped. Definitely. Now, I got a strong feeling. This is not in the script. This is the, I am saying this straight up just as I talk about this. The internet's full of controversy nowadays. So you know what? Maybe this will get some controversy. Maybe people will be like questioning why are you enjoying music while shooting people up. You know what? This is an older game. It's a it's a GTA game. It's a GTA inspired game, and that game's all about thug life and stuff like that. So you know what? Whatever. It's not condoning or like saying yes, do this. It's just the developers are making the game, and honestly, for all the silly shit that happens in Saints Row, like, let's be real. If you ever play Saints the Third or Saints Four, there's just a lot of really stupid, wacky shit that goes down in those games, yet this stands out to me because that's essentially what the third game is about. Even when you're running on the dubstep gun, streaking throughout the city and doing all sorts of, like, random stupid shit, like trying to stop a Hulk zombie version of Gat, like, that's an actual mission you can do, the... The mindset is still taking back what is yours. You know, the Saints got fucked, and they want to establish some power again. And so this moment at the start of the game, that's what it's establishing, is you taking back that what is yours, getting your power back. And, you know, what better song to have than a song called Power, playing in the background, that just gets you going for this. So yeah, that that's that's just the start of this list. And moving on is a a similar style of amping the player up. All right, but we're gonna go back a bit. Okay, I love boss fights. You know, I've said this before in previous episodes. I've talked about Fury at length. If you know me, you know I love a good boss fight in a game. I am all about that shit. So when all the parts fall into place for a fight, including the music, obviously. I just get so giddy over it. I love it. So we're going to head back to the GameCube, all right? Go back a bit and talk about Paper Mario the Thousand Year Door. It is by far still one of my favorite games of all time, easily. And one of the reasons why is Chapter 3 of Glitz and Glory. Now... Mario's tried out a bunch of different things, RPG being one of them. They had Super Mario RPG, Legend of Seven Stars, back on the SNES. You know, they had Paper Mario N64, Paper Mario Thousand Year Door. So they tried some RPG stuff in the past. But Mario's always kind of, especially Paper Mario, it's always just this very colorful, bright, vibrant kind of game. So, of Glitz and Glory, when I mentioned there's this boss fight in there that I absolutely love, and the music's absolutely phenomenal. Huh? Like, it's, it's almost like, okay, how? So, Paper Mario, for all of you know, for all you don't know, it's just, you know, you're set up like a normal RPG. You go about exploring various worlds, completing different tasks, and collecting the MacGuffins of the world, the Crystal Stars. So, Chapter 3 takes a backseat to all that, takes a backseat from the exploration and all that kind of stuff. And you go to a place that is essentially a city built around a fighting ring, and you just enter and compete in this tournament to become champion. Because one of the MacGuffins, one of the Crystal Stars, is on the champ's belt. 
And it's held, of course, by the current reigning champion of the Glitz Pit, you know, this arena that the city's been built around. So, of course, logically, even though there is, like, a few times some dialogue choices just for humor purposes, where you're like, oh, we can totally seal the belt, your party members are like, oh, well, the only logical choice is to go enter the tournament and become champion. They're like, righto. <laughs> now, I've talked before about I don't really like grind fest. Like, that's a lot of times why I don't like JRPGs. I don't like the grinding, like having to level up, having to gather mats or whatever it is. It doesn't really appeal to me. So in this game where you're just entering a tournament and the entire chapter is about you just fighting enemies that progressively get harder and harder, why is it that I love this? The setting is amazing. This idea that it's not you're, you're not fighting random trash mobs, you're fighting people to get to an ultimate goal. Like, there is a reason why you're fighting all these people. In the other chapters, you fight the boss to get the Crystal Star. That's why it's such an impactful fight. Everything else you fight is kind of like just some random douche you meet on the road, some Goombas or whatever they're trying to fight. No, here, every fight matters because it's getting you to that end point. And then the last three fights before the champ, rank 3, 2, and 1, are unique enemies that you rarely find anywhere else, like... I think the only place you can really fight them again is in the Pit of 100 Trials. And then the champ fight after all of this is amazing with this music playing. You know, throughout the entire chapter, Rockhawk, who's the current reigning champ, is just an awesome character. You know, he he goes throughout the game, like, taunting you and stuff like that. But that's because he is just a macho man, ego-filled, muscle man, wrestling type of character. You know, it's a perfect attitude for a quote-unquote antagonist, because I use this term lightly, for this area of just this guy that you got to beat, you know. You finally confront him, and that's why I love the tune that they have playing. You finally get to Rockhawk, because your goal has been get to Rockhawk, beat him, and get the champ's belt. That's what you've been building up to and doing all these fights in the Glitz Pit for. And the fight starts. You know, you go through the entire time kind of, passing by Rockhawk every now and then and dealing with some of his taunts and everything. And then the curtain gets pulled up and the fight starts. And there's this awesome, awesome rock guitar part to start it up. And it sounds like, because the entire game is supposed to be like kind of a play, so every fight there is an audience. And the Glitz Pit is obviously a bunch of people watching these fights. But when that, that guitar bit starts up at the start of Rockhawk's theme, and they have what sounds like this huge crowd shouting for you, just yeah just starts up with this song and you're like it's fucking go time you know you know you've been building up to this like you know what's about to happen you're about to take on the champ this is what matters about all of this and that music kicks in so you're already tense as it is you're already hyped up for what's about to happen and taking on rock hawk in the arena and then the music just kicks it into action it gets your blood pumping it makes like some dialogue starts and i remember the dialogue is talking you know he's admitting to all the things he's done to you like giving poison cake to take out your partners for one of the fights locking you in a closet so you can't get to the arena for your champ match in time so you have to forfeit like he admits all this and you're just like i don't fucking care i'm ready to just kick your teeth and like you already have this feeling of you want to kick his ass and get the belt, but the music is pushing you there. Like, it doesn't matter. Whatever he has to say, fuck it. That music's going, and you just want to fight this guy. You know, it's all about the glory and the energy that the music is filling you with at this time. Because, like I said, it's been building up. You know, it's been building up with the taunts and everything, but now 
there's no more running. There's no more taunting. It's just, it's a smackdown. It's you versus Rockhawk. And even Rockhawk himself admits that only one person can walk away with this belt. And the music just makes you want to do that. It makes you want to fight. It, it's, it's everything about this fight. The setting of having to beat him, being in front of this major crowd. And not only that, the music kind of mirrors his own ego. It's very flashy in what it does. You know, that, that shouting, this heavy rock, a little bit of electrics thrown in there. They even have like a sound effect that sounds like guns going off a little bit, like da 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 is going on and everything. It's his ego. You, you are listening to his ego in his own head. And it's amazing. And then it's a perfect comparison to what the true boss fight is for that chapter. Because it turns out the belt... The Christmas R was fake. You know, you learn that, like, halfway through the chapter, but you're still like, it doesn't matter. You're still, like, you're already invested on beating Rockhawk, and he's insulted that you're insulting his belt, saying that it's a fake. And he's like, fuck no, it isn't. Back up, or I will destroy you right now. So you're already ready to fight this guy. So then when you learn the actual truth, and how Grubba, the guy who runs the ring, has the actual Christmas star, and has been using it to drain the power of other fighters... You then have to take him on. You like you learn the secrets of the glitz pits and the horrors there and how he's been doing all this shit for such a long time. And it's like, okay, now I got to take on Grubba to get the actual Crystal Star. And then you're like, oh, fuck. Then you realize what happens. Essentially, Grubba just muscles up. He says, just muscle up. Essentially, like he's taking drugs. So even though he was a fighter in the past, what you're fighting now, Macho Grubba, who is just, just big hulking abomination, it's all artificial. This power is given to him from the crystal star and the machine he has. So the music, instead of, like, amping you up where you're inside Rockhawk's head and it's all flashy, you know, you're before this great audience putting on this amazing show. It's all about bravado and strength and all this kind of stuff. Grubba's just, nah, man, I'm going to kick your ass right now. Like, he's... Where Rockhawk has that ego, it's more of a showmanship kind of thing. Grubba has that ego of, like, straight up being a big villain. Like, you're not going to win. You know, you're just... You're trying to fight this guy because you have to. There's no audience. There's no bravado. There's nothing. There's no champ. There's, it's not a real fight. It's just you versing this artificial guy. And so the music's much more artificial. It's much more kind of like electric synth wave and stuff like that. And instead of being like that high-octane amp, it's a little smoother. It's a little calmer because that's who Grubba is. He's very calm and collected in this fight. Even when he starts to lose, he's like, nah, I'm not done yet. I still got a few moves in me. He stays calm and collected the entire time. That, you know, even though I just talked about Grubba, that is why I give kind of Rock Hawk's theme just the crown in this game in terms of music because it's everything about that fight. And when you compare it to the next boss fight you have to do, it, it shines in a tune that encompasses a character. Because Rockhawk, you only find out about at the start of Chapter 3, and after Chapter 3, there's only two more times he really shows up. That's unless you decide to go back to the Glitz Pit and fight through everything again to regain your sets as champ, which I've done once or twice, and it's kind of fun. And when you go to refight Rockhawk, he's on even terms. He's like, yeah, let's just have a real fight. I mean, granted, at this point, you're a higher level. You're going to kick his fucking ass because he's not too powerful of a fight. doesn't matter, though. It's, it's an awesome fight regardless. But it's really cool. Just getting to hear that tune again of fighting Rockhawk and fighting this ego-filled guy. Oh, it's just... Oh, it's just so good. When I was writing this whole section for the script, I just had that that song playing in the loop 
in the background because I just love it. I I just love everything that song has to deliver because it is the fight. It it really is. All right, let's calm down a bit. Let's take it. Let's take it down a peg. All right. What about the opposite feeling? So we just talked about the whole thing with Saints Row Power, Rock Hawks theme, just amping you up. But what if the music does the opposite? It aims to calm the player, kind of ease you into something and soothe your worries and everything. I remember, you know, even though it wasn't that long ago, it's still one of those things like just remembering very clearly. My first time walking up to the large window that overlooks the City of Tears in Hollow Nest, or pfft, the City of Tears in the game Hollow Knights. You know, it is in, in Hollow Nest, but the game Hollow Knights. So when you walk up and you look at this through this window that overlooks this magnificent city in this game Hollow Knight, I remember just thinking, wow. Like, I was stunned with everything. The raindrops that hit the glass window, that's already like a prime way to convey this moment of peace and rest or even sorrow, you know, in media. And then with all those blue colors and blue tints, stuff like that throughout the city, on top of what I think is the best track in the game, you just have this amazing setting for Hollow Knight and this amazing setting to deliver the story of the City of Tears and Hollow Nest. So, of course, depending on your path in this game, you either hit the City of Tears early or you hit it a bit later. Now, me, I was one of those later people. When As soon as I got the Mantis Claw, which you need to get into the city, I ended up finding the Mantis Lords. And then after I defeated the Mantis Lords, I ended up stumbling into Deepness. And I'm like, oh, what's Deepness? So I went back and got the Lantern to explore Deepness. Yada, yada, yada. I even ran into the Sleeper that's buried deep within Deepness before I even got to the City of Tears. Before I even had the Dream Nail or knew what the really what this person was. I, I ran into her. So then eventually I found a way to City of Tears. Though, I knew I still had plenty to do with the game when I got there, but I just felt like when that music started playing and I got there, that essentially my journey came to an end. Like, the goal was before me, reach the City of Tears. This great monument to a civilization that has been long gone and dead is now before me, and I felt this is it. Like, this is my journey's end. Even when you're still being attacked by, like, enemies throughout the city, I just felt like I belonged there. You know, Green Path was beautiful and had some relaxing music to it. And some of the other areas did, too, like the Queen's Garden. But City of Tears just completely welcomes you with its melodies into the city. Those quiet vocals that are playing, the soothing instruments, everything just wants you to make it sit back and take it all in. And it that happens. Like, I am willing to bet that everyone... I'm straight up betting that everyone who has ever played Hollow Knight decided to take a minute to just sit down at that first bench with Quarrel and take it all in. You have that music softly playing. There's no enemies to fight in this room. The rain is just hitting the window. And you're in the company of a good friend. And you just sit there and take it all in. And the music is just allowed to play uninterrupted. There's nothing else going on. You're just able to listen. And then you get to explore, and the music continues, of course, and accompanies you as you explore. And even though you're in this lonely world and you're in the city where there's all these enemies are trying to fight you and every stone that you turn over reveals more dark secrets about the world and all this stuff, that melody stays by your side and you stay calm. Like, I remember fighting some of those larger guards that they're like the first enemy in the game that when they hit you deals too damage to you. I still wasn't stressed. That music still kept my nerves calm and I was still collected 
with everything before me. It's amazing. It is 100% amazing how it does that. Like The City of Tears is home to all in Hollow Nest. And it's, even though you come after the fall of this great civilization, it's your home too. And not a bad way. It's not like a, you are home because you will also die and perish like everyone else. No, it's your home as in, if Hollow Nest was still as stood and was still as glorious as it was before, you too would be welcomed here. You too would, could find a place in the City of Tears and a place in Hollow Nest. That's what the music is telling you. You know, during that playthrough, that first playthrough, every time I passed through the City of Tears, I was really ecstatic. I was really happy because I got to listen to that song again. Even in this dark and stressful game where I'm going down to the abyss, I'm going through just everything that is deepness and all these other things, the City of Tears at the center, like, of the game and of the map itself at its center still calms you down and you still, it lets you take a step back and admire everything, admire this wonderful city that used to be. And even after it's great fall, like, and that's all the music is, it's both calming, but it's also a, this slightly dark message of things that have fallen. It's everything that is the city of tears and everything that's hollowness is this music that plays. And at that point, that's, when you truly get the game, like you get to really see what the game's all about. Like you've been through the crossroads, you've been through Green Path at least, you've at least been through those two places and a bit of the fungal waste to get the Mantis Claw and you've just seen all these weird things. Like even the fungal waste is still a little bit bright, but they're still like the Mantis people are still trying to attack you. You know, the, the only other sign of civilization is hostile to you and you just hit the City of Tears and it's like, no, this is what it is. Like things that rise and fall. And having that moment to sit back and just think and cherish of everything that's happened. I love it. I, I 100% love it. I think it is the best track, like the best song in all of Hollow Knight is the City of Tears theme. It, it does everything so well in that area. And it was really needed. I, I love it. Now we're going to do another throwback. And I'm saying throwback, let's hit up the original Xbox. You know, not whatever they're doing right now, but the original OG Xbox. A game that really helped put that console on the map was, without a doubt, Halo. It was a well-made shooter that pushed, really, with the multiplayer capabilities of the Xbox, both online and on the couch. So it was great. And the setup, what helped set it all up, was that theme song, my god, the theme song of Halo is fucking amazing. You know, what they did, okay, the, the song is what made me come up with this idea of doing this list in the first place. Like, when I first started thinking about, like, oh, yeah, what, what kind of songs can I talk about here? The Halo theme song just forever played a loop in my head. And I just couldn't get rid of, like, on the subway walking. I just kept playing in my head. I'm like, okay, I got to think of other things other than the Halo theme song. I can't be the only thing I talk about because it's it's so damn good. And the approach they took in utilizing it, I think, was amazing with the main menu. and something that they even carried on throughout the franchise in future games. And I can understand why. You know, we saw the trailers for Halo and all this other promotional stuff for We knew that was going to be this great epic space shooter of the time. We're fighting a bunch of this alien horde and everything. But we didn't know why. Like, what? Why? Is this whole thing happening? 
So then you get to the title screen. You, you buy Halo, you boot it up, you start the title screen. And all you see on that splash screen of this amazing shooter that you're beginning excited to play is just this calming set piece of space in the background and part of this giant Halo installation. There's no action, no nothing. And that opera starts. You know what I'm talking about. That oh, that it's all about like that Halo theme starts up and it's just like, okay, what? Like, what is this? It's a mystery. What's the deal with the ring? Why is that being shown? Why is this the title screen instead of all that high octane action? You're wondering why. And that's when the music then kicks it up a notch and you get into that. It's getting hyped up. It gets very actiony and everything. Clearly, the ring is worth something. And you start to think about the trailers and everything. Like, the action parts of Halo start to kind of pop into your mind. Like, okay, this is what we're fighting over. There's something going on here. And the music is telling us this. It's very exhilarating. It's a great experience. And you're there at the center. You know, you're the Spartan. You are Master Chief at the center of it all. And then immediately, a minute or so later, the action calms down again. And we go back to that opera style. The action is done and over with, but there's still questions. All right, there's still that moment of pause before the next step. Like, what is this next step? What's the next part? You know, we're thinking about it. And then your mind kind of goes back to the earlier part of the song with that high-octane action. Like, okay, there's something next. You know, if the music goes on loop, it'll always get to the opera bit of calming questioning into the action bit of fighting the covenant. And it's just a perpetual loop you know i'm not making a joke about like the halo being a circle i'm saying like that's what the halo franchise was about constantly butting heads with the covenant over these ring halo installations so the theme essentially is a perfect explanation of the story in the halo games you know when you first find halo the first installation and you're on the pillar of autumn and your eyes just kind of set upon it for the first time yes it's beautiful place why do the Covenant care? Like, we stumbled upon here just in terms of, like, escaping reach, but clearly Covenant have already established a base here, and there's too many Covenant ships here for it to just be a hunt down the humans, you know, this one ship. There's clearly something big going on here, and that's what the start of the theme is, that opera bit of that being in awe of everything and wondering, okay, what? What's going on? And then in the middle of the game, all that action's happening. It's Master Chief and the Marines fighting against the Covenant and trying to find more answers. But it's all action you know, all, all the gunplay and all this fun time fighting. And that's the middle part of the theme song. Just this awesome music that's being played, and you just, you love it to death. And at near the end, as the end is coming, and you start to learn the truth behind the Halo installations, that is trying to fight against the Flood, essentially if it becomes activated, it could wipe out all living life, because that's the only way to stop the Flood okay, how do we stop this? Like, immediately you're in awe again. Like, oh, that's what it can do. What the hell are we supposed to do to stop this? And that's the end of the theme song. Is it, Again, going back to that awe, that wonderment of just, there is something powerful before us. Now what? And then you find out there's another one in Halo 2. Shit, we know what this can do. How are we going to stop it this time? That That loop with the theme song and the loop of how the story goes is just a beautiful match. Now, I put so many hours into Halo 1, 2, and 3 when they came out. Like, when I was a kid, I put hours into them. And 
I still stand by Halo Reach, loving it and thinking it's probably the best Halo game out of all of them for many reasons. And I spent so many hours in college playing Halo Reach with friends. And just in each of those installments, especially at least with 1 through 3, they do the same thing. Having that theme start with just a splash screen of a little something, something, nothing action-y. I know one of them, I think it was Halo 2, I want to say, had like the scattered remains, like ruins of a city or a Halo installation, you know, compared to Halo 1 where it just showed the first ring. But they still did the same thing. Still had that Halo theme song playing, and you're just like, all right, what is it now? You're getting amped up. You're getting excited for what the story is going to have for you. And then the way they did the remixes, like they're using the Halo theme, but in various different ways doing slight remixes. You know, Halo 1, you're trying to get on board the Pill of Autumn at the very end to detonate the core because it's the only thing that can blow up the entire Halo installation. And then that rush for the exit as the timer's ticking down for the Pill of Autumn to go nuclear, you got the music playing. And then Halo 2, when you're fighting to save that human city, you're going across a bridge in the Scorpion tank and then fighting through everything, trying to get to the Scarab and blow it up. And at the very end, you have to watch you know, the cutscene of just the city getting wiped out because the Covenant just goes into hyperdrive to get out of this off of planet Earth. And it's like, well, that was for nothing. <laughs> and then Halo 3, you know, taking notes from Halo 1 when you're in the Warthog trying to get off the Halo insulation as it's going nuclear and it's self-destruct, it's going through a self-destruct process. There's those, that modified theme is playing. You know, those were big moments for the game and having that amped up Halo theme playing behind it and even in other big fights throughout the game, like, not every fight had the theme playing, just the the big ones, like, storming the beach to get the cartographer. You get the music playing. It's amazing. It... Mmm! So good, you know? I still remember the first time I booted up my Xbox with Halo in it, and the main menu started up, and the theme song started playing. I just sat there for a moment, kind of like with the City of Tears. I just sat there for a moment, like... In all, like, this is it. Like, it's it's time to play Halo, and I'm going to have a goddamn good time doing it, and by God, I had a great time doing it. Halo 4 still sucks, though. Just putting that out there, as much as I love Halo, especially what the first four games did with 1, 2, 3, and Reach, even ODST I really enjoyed, considering how it took a different spin, Halo 4 still sucks, which is a damn shame, because even they used the theme song, and it just... <sighs> It shows you that music is really important to a game, especially a franchise when it has a theme, but the game itself still has to have something good about it for it to be a good game. The music alone cannot fully salvage the game, which sucks. That's a lesson to to learn, lesson to keep in mind. Now, how are we going to wrap this up? You know, I talked about these four great songs, these four great parts, and heck, I even talked a bit about Halo and gave it a lot of praise for what it did. But it still sat at number two, not number one. Even though its theme song was the inspiration to everything, why is it not number one? Because number one, I feel, hits home for a lot of people. And it can be very personal. You know, raise your hand if you ever played Valkyrie Chronicles, the first one, back on PlayStation 2. And I know they did it on a Steam release for 20 bucks. That's how I found it. Valkyrie Chronicles, all right? Amazing game. Yeah, hands down, fight me if you don't think it's amazing. I think it's an amazing game. I love it. It does so many things right, both in terms of gameplay, say it's fun and engaging, 
but it's not super hard gameplay. So that way you can still progress through this very compelling and captivating story and really see these great characters develop over time, which the fourth installment dropped the ball so hard on that, and I'm still sour over that. It still hurts. You know, and the anime for Valkyrie Chronicles 1 was its own amazing piece of work that captivated all these big moments in its own way. Even though it still followed the same story, it did a few things slightly different and still worked. Now, I talked about this moment before, especially when I, I gave my harsh review of Valkyrie Chronicles 4. I brought up the moment from the first game when Isara is shot and killed. It is a huge shock, especially if you go into the game blind. It is a huge shock seeing Isara shot and killed, both you as a player and to all the characters in the game. And then the follow-up to that, the entire follow-up chapter after that, is everyone grieving for the loss of a little child of war. She's like somewhere between 14 and 16. I can't remember the exact age, but she is young. And she gets shot and killed. And she was like the center at the core of this whole Squad 7 group. Always being supportive. Always caring, no matter what. Even to Rosie, who really hated her. She was always supportive. And now she's gone. So you set the scene very well in the game. You have Isaro's grave. The main people from Squad 7 are there, and even someone from another squad and the head of the militia are all there, quietly, you know, mourning the loss of Isar. But then Rosie steps up, you know, the one who hated Isar from the very beginning, to fulfill a promise, a very simple promise of singing to Isara. You know, racism's a hell of a thing. It's, it's a terrible thing, because Rosie's races against the Dark Sins, and now she's kind of moving through that, and singing for Isara. So not only does it show this great development for Rosie and peeling back her racism and just stopping this blind hatred for these people, but it's also like you you begin to think about Isara again. Like, even though in game terms it just happened, like she just got killed and it's still on your mind, you're going, like, the game shows these flashbacks and you're doing the same thing. Like, you're mourning the loss of Isara. It's it's like an actual funeral that you're at. And it's so heart-wrenching to think like, yeah, Isara is gone now. And, you know, throughout the game and all these chapters, when someone, like I said, when someone's upset or it's getting dark, Isara was there to cheer people up. And you as a player, it was always nice seeing her for that reason. Because like, yeah, there'd be this this horrible moment in the game, but then Isara would just be there still hopeful. And as a player, it wanted it kept you going through the story. Like, all these characters around you are just falling apart and you're having to listen to them. And Isara's like, no, we got this. And that's gone now. You you must push on as a player. You must push on through this game without her. Now, of course, the game being a game and having to be interactive, it does a good job showing the characters work through the grieving of a lost friend, especially Welkin, since he was her brother, just going through the process of mourning her, but still keeping the game interactive. You know, there are all, like, those small moments of, like, this is for you, Isar, and even Rosie gets this new ability for her character that's all about, you know, mourning for Isara and this kind of stuff. It's amazing. Now, the anime, oh, boy. The game is amazing, right? And then the anime is even better just in this term of Isara's death simply because it's not interactive. Because the anime does not have to keep the player engaged with playing a game... It simply has to keep you captivated by the characters. 
it's able to show a lot more of the grieving process of Isara's death. And they still have the same scene of Rosie singing for Isara. It's a very important scene. It's a very important song. It's a very important moment. They keep that. But then what happens is since the, the characters, like, they have more time to show the characters just being humans and not have to worry about, okay, time to play a game and do this fight, you see much more of the characters suffering. And even Welkin, I remember for a couple episodes, Welkin's completely shut down. Like, he's much more cold. Like, he's supposed to be that inspiring leader. But then after Isara's death... In the anime, he's much more cold, while in the game, he's still, he's he's a little cold, but he's not as bad, because you're playing as Welkin, so, you know, you gotta be that upbeat commander that's trying to keep the squad going. So in the anime, seeing him just be cold-hearted, it's like, holy shit, you know, he's taking it hard, and you're kind of feeling that same way of, like, remembering, if you played the game first, what it was like with Isara dying, and then when you finally take back Brule in the game, it's all like, yeah, we finally did it, we took back Brule. But in the anime, they take back their hometown of Brule, and that's when Welkin finally collapses and breaks down crying. He's coming to terms with the death of his sister and finally mourning. Like, there's no one around him except Alicia, who really cares about him. And he's finally able to just show that emotion of, like, holy shit, my sister is dead. And even though I have my home back, it's never going to be home again because she's gone. And it's so impactful, that moment in the anime. That, again, they can't really show in the game because it has to be interactive. So even though the anime and the game go about a little differently showing this whole grieving process, they both do it very well. Now, of course, this is a list about songs and music. And now you might be thinking, I'm talking about a, a lot about Isara's death and its impact on the story, but not so much about the song itself, the song that Rosie sings. And that is because everything I just mentioned is because of that song. That song that Rosie sings makes the scene. You know, I fully believe without a doubt. This is more so than anything else on this list. That if that song that Rosie sung was not present, or was even a different song or a different character, or like the other characters joined in, if they did anything different than just Rosie singing this mournful song, it would have been completely different. The that death would not have had the impact it did if there was the slightest change to that scene of Rosie singing by herself for Isara. Made that scene what it is. 100%. And it's what, like, fuck, I remember listening to the song again while writing this script and watching that cutscene and a tear still coming to my eye for that moment. Because not only as a game was it a really heart-wrenching and impactful moment in the game. But it's the song itself is so personal and filled with emotion. And it's so moving that you could listen to that song, have very little knowledge of the game itself, and still think about someone that you lost. Someone that was close to you, a dear friend or family member that died. That song makes you think about that. In the game, Isara and all the others are built to feel like humans going through the turmoil of war and coping with the horrors that they see so that when she dies, it feels like an actual person dying. Like, you care about Isara so much and everyone else throughout the game that when she dies, it feels like, why did that have to happen? And it hurts on a personal level. So when you hear Rosie sing, it's Rosie's 
not just singing for Isara. She's not just singing for the others there in the game or in the anime. She's singing for you, the viewer, or you, the player, depending on what you're doing. She sings for anyone that has lost anyone close to them in real life. Rosie is singing that song for that person. I listen to that song, and every time I hear it, I have to just stop what I'm doing to just listen and think about those people I've cared about and that the people I've lost. Hell, at the time of this recording and writing the script and everything, I lost my last grandparent, my grandfather on my mother's side. I got the news that he passed away. And so, you know, as I wrote the script and everything, and like I said, I listened to that song and I'm watching the cutscene and that tear came to my eye, I was thinking about him. You know, he was, him and my grandmother were like the only two people that were able to get my family to come together and stop arguing for once in their goddamn lives. You know, whenever it's just a moment with just me and my mother or my uncles or whatever, there's always some issue they're complaining about or they're arguing over something stupid. But when my grandfather opened up his house to his family to welcome them all in, all his grandchildren and his children and everything, for a moment, everything just kind of stopped and we were able to just enjoy each other's company. And it was beautiful. And that's the song that Rosie sings. It's for him. Like I said, it's for anyone who's lost anyone close to them. That's what this song is for. And that is why, without a doubt in my mind, I put it at the top as the greatest piece of music ever made for a video game. Is that song. If you've never had a chance to play Valkyrie Chronicles, you know, play it if you can. It takes a lot of hours. It's a lengthy game. It's well worth it. But if you don't have the money or the time, just give the song a listen. I'm not even saying watch the cutscene. Just give the song a listen. Do yourself a favor. It is an amazing piece of music that is incredibly moving considering it was made for a game. It's much more than that. So I want to say thank you all for listening. All right? Enjoy some, enjoy the time off if you're on summer break and everything. I know I've always been saying that, but I feel it's important to say every single time. So until next time, take care. Enjoy yourself. It's very important to do.